Morning. I am actually going to sit down. Uh, I don't think I've ever sat down preaching in 15 years, but I am going to today. Um, I just have uh, been kind of struggling with my health the last five or six weeks and just can't get uh, healthy, and I've got uh, shaky legs, so I'm going to try not to fall down on you, thus I'm going to sit down. All right, uh, but my voice feels okay, so that's all right with me. That's all I really care about at the end of the day. Uh, <clears throat> you know, you've, you've probably are familiar with the term helicopter parent. You know, it's a, a phrase that's been thrown out a lot the last 10 to 15 years. You know, these are the parents that are always hovering over their children at all times, making sure that they're safe. But more and more, I've heard uh, a new term thrown out by parenting experts of today's parents, and that is the lawnmower parent. Have you heard this one? Uh, The lawnmower parent is the parent that not only hovers over their children, but they also mow down obstacles in front of their children so that their kids won't have to face any sort of suffering. So a couple examples of this. Uh, It may be uh, maybe a child is having, uh, you know, picture like a fifth grader or something. You know, maybe they're having difficulties with their coach. In the olden days, the parent would say, yeah, go talk to your coach about it. (laughs) Nowadays, the parent talks to the coach for the kid. You know, there's a lot of... uh, college professors and admissions counselors and others that are now saying that they're struggling with even parents that are calling the college admissions office or they're calling the scheduling department trying to fix their 18 year olds schedule because we got to mow down obstacles for them Uh, i've started reading a number of articles about this in the last year uh, but nothing has uh, piqued my interest in this subject uh, more so than a comment that uh, my friend uh, ben rickers who goes to this church uh, said to me about a year ago, he said, you ever notice how we just don't let kids develop their suffering muscle anymore? And honestly, I bet I've thought about that statement from him maybe once a week for the last year. Uh, It's quite the astute observation, and it's quite biblical as well. I mean, think about this with me. We, We don't want to let kids suffer anymore. And I'm not talking about suffering from polio or measles. I'm talking about we, we not only want to get suffering out of their lives, it's like we're on this crusade to eradicate even minor discomfort out of our kids' lives. Uh, let me give you a number of examples from modern-day parenting, uh, which I know quite well. I have two kids that are six, and, uh, which means they're twins, uh, and one uh, that, are, <laughs> that are three. Um, but think of, think of all these examples. Like, for, for instance, many Americans don't want their kids to be bored in the car anymore. Because right, that would just be too much for them. So we install TVs in seatbacks, and we give our kids tablets. Uh, what about going to the dentist? That is too scary for a kid, to ask that of a kid. And so we install TVs in the ceiling, right? And so they don't have to think about how difficult this might be. Even getting a haircut. Right? Asking a kid to kind of sit still for, what, 10 minutes? That's too difficult, We don't want them to have to learn to sit through that discomfort. So nowadays, they just hand them an iPad. What if you lose in a basketball tournament as a kid or a a soccer tournament? Aren't they going to feel sadness and pain from losing? No worries. We'll just give every kid a trophy, and then they don't have to have those feelings. Uh, Here's a a hard thing for kids to go through. If you've got little kids, you probably know this. Uh, What about handing out birthday invites at school? Like, won't, won't kids be sad if they see that three kids got invited to this party and, and they didn't get invited? 
What I see nowadays is uh, the majority of schools, at least in this area, are sort of trending this way, where they're instituting policies where you can't hand out a birthday invitation in your second grade class or your kindergarten class to your three friends, because that would make the rest of the kids sad. So if you want to hand out birthday invitations, the new policy is you'd have to mail them to the kid, or you have to invite all 25 kids in the class so no one gets their feelings hurt. And let me say, because a bunch of you, especially that are young parents, are just going, but, 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 I, I think it comes from a good heart, right? Like, none of us want to see our kids suffer or even go through discomfort, but all of this mowing down of obstacles and avoiding of suffering is having an adverse effect on our kids. As my friend Ben said to me, their suffering muscle isn't being developed. And so by the time they hit high school, that suffering muscle is too weak for them to be able to handle any real adversity. Listen, it's okay, and I know there's a lot of young parents, especially at this service, it's okay for your kid to ride in the car for an hour without something in their hands. If you don't expect them to talk to you when they're seven, they're not going to talk to you when they're 17. If, if they don't learn how to be patient through discomfort when they're six, they're not going to learn how to be patient through discomfort when the real trials come when they're 36. It's okay to not get invited to a birthday party and be aware that you didn't get invited. Rejection is part of life. Your kid isn't going to grow up and get into every school and get every date and get every job. They're going to experience rejection. Listen, there are some significantly negative consequences. If we continue on like this as a society and we mow down every obstacle for our kids. But we, we've so insulated our kids from rejection, for example, that when they get into high school, say they turn 16, and they've been crushing on somebody, I'm sure kids say it that way, uh, for, <laughs> for a year, right? And they finally get up the nerve, and they, they ask that person out to their face. That was a big deal, right? And let's say the person looks back at them, and they say, yeah, I'm sorry, I just, I don't like you like that. At 16... For so many of these kids today, their suffering muscle is so weak. It's so un underdeveloped because we've made sure that they've never had to feel any sort of rejection that they can't handle that when that happens at 16. And so, so many teenagers nowadays are falling over things like this, somebody turning them down on a date. They're falling into deep states of anxiety, of depression, and for many of them, we all know, there's an exponential rise of teenagers taking their own life. And in many cases, because they've just never experienced rejection before. In 2015, uh, there was a study done, and 60% of college students admitted that they were emotionally unprepared for college. Well, they were academically prepared, but they weren't emotionally ready at all. Uh, the article on the study states this. It says that the students weren't equipped to deal with loneliness, 
conflict, boredom, or anxiety on their own because they'd never been given an opportunity to practice dealing with those emotions before. All of those things had been mowed down by their parents, all who, of course, wanted them to avoid suffering. Now, you're going to see in a second here that we as adults are not exempt from avoiding suffering in our own lives. But before we go any further with this, let's, let's open up the Word of God together. Uh, there's a Bible under every chair. Uh, we are going to be on page 914 today. Uh, or you can use the Renovation Church app. Uh, you just have Bible and weekly verses. Because I just think there is wisdom in God's Word today that our American culture right now just desperately needs. Okay, we're going to start really in the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus uh, and then we're going to get to our subject at hand. So Romans chapter 5, page 914, we're going to start at verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Therefore, since we have been, he's talking to Christians, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So this is key. Don't forget this as we keep reading. We as Christians can have so much joy, so much joy that Paul's saying, you can boast in it. It is so good. You are forgiven. God's going to look at you when you die, and he's going to say, not guilty. You're going to have eternity in heaven. We can boast in that. Now he's going to tell you something else that you can boast in. You can glory in. So look at verse 3. It says, not only so, but we also glory that's a word we don't use a lot. In fact, a lot of the other translations there say we can rejoice. It's kind of the meaning behind it. So we also rejoice in our sufferings. I didn't see that one coming. In our sufferings. Why? Well, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, it's kind of parenthetical here, produces character and character leads to hope. Let's just do a quick poll, and I want you to legit raise your hand, even if you don't like raising your hand. Uh, how many of you in here, raise your hand, want to grow more in your perseverance in life? You want to be able to just endure more, stronger in your life. Uh, how many of you want to grow in your character? Keep your hand up. You want to grow, be a, a better person. How many of you want to grow in hope? You just want to be more positive, hopeful. Now, keep your hand up. How many of you, keep your hand up, if... How many of you would like to achieve all that through the vehicle of suffering? Right? Like, none of us. But this is why we are where we are. This is why so many of us have turned into lawnmower parents. As Americans, we don't even remotely understand this particular teaching from the Word of God. But we need to. We need this teaching from the Word. See, because we don't understand this, I think adults try and avoid suffering just as much in their own lives. Now, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that you all need to go out and look for suffering. You don't need to run headlong into it. But I think there are plenty of times where we need to learn how to endure suffering and not just merely try and escape from it. Uh, in, in a lot of the older translations, when you see this word persevere in the scripture, a lot of times they used to translate that as steadfast or a steadfastness. So you kind of picture someone in a hard situation, and life is just throwing everything at them, and they are standing firm. They're steadfast. They're not escaping. They're not running. They're enduring. But I think as Americans in 2019, too often when the hard times come, uh, we've run. 
right? When friendships or relationships get hard, we're really good at running. When our job situation gets uncomfortable, rather than trying to work it out, sticking through it, we, we just look for another job. Now, what about churches? I see this all the time now. Uh, people run into sin at their churches because there are actual human beings that go to their church, and there's conflict. Rather than work it out, we run. We just run to a different church down the road. Uh, when life gets stressful, a lot of us, rather than talk to God and say, Lord, what are you doing here? We just try and escape, right? We just try and escape to alcohol or to Netflix or what have it, what have you. But when we try and avoid suffering, just like our kids, our suffering muscle doesn't develop. And I would say for a lot of us in this room, we've become so adept at avoiding and evading suffering that our suffering muscle, honestly, is probably atrophied. And that means that not only are we not putting ourselves in a position to handle suffering when it comes back even worse in our lives, we're also not putting ourselves in a position for God to use us to do anything great. Because, because we have such a weak suffering muscle, God can't use us to do anything great because greatness always comes with difficulty. For example, it's no secret that um, most Americans admire Abraham Lincoln, right? For good reason. Uh, how he persevered through the Civil War, how he just sort of uh, kept our country together, or rather reunited our country. Uh, right, we admire. He, he, he persevered through all of the insults, uh, threats on his life for years, um, all the intense suffering that he went through as he attempted to get a legislation passed to free the slaves. It's like, how did one man have such metal to endure so much suffering, to stand strong? I mean, almost every other leader, I think, probably would have crumbled in his place. How did he do that? Well, if you study Abraham Lincoln, one of the things that you'll see is God shaped Lincoln for that moment. And yet, probably not in the way that Lincoln would have wanted if he could have scripted out his life. So let's just walk through his life for a minute. When Abraham Lincoln was nine, his mom died. Well, that shapes a person. When Lincoln was uh, 26, he had his first serious girlfriend. Uh, they were thinking about, you know, potentially getting engaged. And then she contracted typhoid fever, and she died. Throughout his 20s, uh, Lincoln uh, tried his hand at business and a number of endeavors uh, multiple times, and almost all of them failed or they just didn't work out. That's frustrating. You ever started a business and had it not work? It's intensely personal. Uh, you know, Lincoln's not one of those guys who just got elected, 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 and kept rising to higher office. Uh, throughout all of his time in politics, he lost a number of elections, where he was appoint, uh, hoping to get appointed and then just didn't get appointed. He just suffered through that loss a number of times. Uh, when Lincoln was 41, uh, what would be the unthinkable for many of us happened to him? He had a four-year-old boy named Edward who died of tuberculosis. How do you even go on after losing a child? When Lincoln was 53, which was when he was in office as the president, and on top of that, the Civil War was raging, and on top of that, he had another boy who at 11, his son Willie, caught a fever and also died. 
That is an insanely difficult life. I would say most of us in this room haven't even experienced 5% of that kind of hardship. And yet suffering, when handled right, produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. And those three things, perseverance, character, hope, are exactly what you're going to need if you're going to lead a nation through a crisis. It's like everybody admires Lincoln's fortitude and courage, but nobody wants to take the route he took to get there. Right? We'd all just want to like read a blog on how to be courageous and be done with it in 15 minutes. But the ability to persevere through enormous difficulty usually comes when you learn how to persevere and trust in God through medium difficulty. You know how you learn how to do that? You teach yourself to persevere and trust in God through even the little difficulties. That's how you grow that suffering muscle. So let me give you an example of this, uh, even as a parent. This past Monday, so six days ago, Mondays are my day off, I picked my kids up after school and we went to a park. That was when it was like 100 degrees warmer. Do you remember that? Uh, And we went to a park and my my six-year-old twins said, let's race each other to the other side of the park and see who wins. Now, if you're a parent, you know how this is going to end. If you have twins, you really know this is not going to end well. I know this is not going to end well. So I could have very easily said, you know what, let's just uh, let's go on some slides. But I didn't. I even did the honorary ready, set, go. <laughs> Why would I do that? Because I'm a monster? Uh-uh. I know that if I mow down every little obstacle in front of them, they are never going to learn to trust God in their sadness later on. When it gets bigger than just losing a race. And so when one of the kids inevitably lost, I sat down with him and I started talking with him about their emotions. We started processing through what it feels like. Yeah, sometimes you don't win. I want to help my kids learn how to do that now when they're in my home. I don't want them learning how to do that for the first time when they're 18. And these, these principles are true for us as adults too. If, if you are going to survive the more difficult things that will surely come in your future, you have to learn how to endure and how to go to God in the midst of the medium difficult things now. I'm not sure if we even recognize this or not, but I think in a lot of ways, in our quest to avoid suffering, we actually end up avoiding God. Let me give you an example of this. I, uh, I mentioned to you last week, uh, nowadays, as we're planting more and more churches, I, I meet with a lot of uh, prospective uh, church planners, uh, people who are thinking about starting, with starting a church, or sometimes I'm even seeking them out. Maybe it's a, a youth pastor who's just uh, really gifted. And every once in a while, I'll meet with a guy who just has incredible giftings. And he's a great speaker, you know, magnetic personality, a great leader, and I'll just say to him, listen, friend, I mean, you, you need to seek God's call, but my sense is you need to leave where you're at and you need to take a risk and you need to go start a church because you could reach hundreds, maybe you could reach thousands of people for Christ. And my heart just breaks when sometimes they look back at me and they say, 
no, I'm not going to do it. I like, I like my job now. It's, it's, it's easy. It's safe. I get a paycheck every other week. I know I'm going to have health insurance. Like, there's no risk. It's incredibly risky to go plant a church. I know if I go do that, this is, hardship will come. Now, what are they doing? What are they making their decisions off of? They're trying to avoid suffering, like many of us. But do you know what else they're missing? you know what else they're avoiding? They're avoiding the movement of God in their life. Think about what they're missing out on seeing. And they'll never see it. Because they just think it'll be better for them to avoid suffering. But when you continue to avoid difficulty and suffering in your life, you are also missing out on the building up of perseverance in your life. You're missing out on the building up of character in your life. You're you're missing out on God growing you in hope. Don't run from risk. Let me ask you this question. What is God calling you to, but you keep telling him no? Because you know that if you say yes, you just might have to suffer a little bit. I just want to say, my friend, if you just keep avoiding suffering because it could be painful, realize that you're missing out on not just on what God wants to do through you, but you're missing out on what God wants to do in you. Because it's in our suffering that he usually grows us the most. Maybe it's because in America we've unfortunately enmeshed so much of Christianity with our American values, but I think we have these odd misconceptions that God is only moving when things are good. But I just want to tell you, God often does his best work when times are hard. Uh, Even though he's been dead uh, for over 100 years now, I follow Charles Spurgeon on Facebook. Uh, His quotes, anyway. Uh, Which you should too, it's uh, incredible. And a couple of weeks ago, I was just stopped in my tracks when I I read something that he had uh, written. Uh, You might not know this about Spurgeon, but uh, Spurgeon uh, suffered mightily at times from depression uh, and ill health. He was never really a healthy person. And he once wrote this. He said, I would venture to say that the greatest blessing that God can give to any of us is health, with the exception of sickness. He's saying that's the greatest blessing. Sickness has frequently been of more use to the saints of God, to Christians, than health has. Because remember what the word says, it's suffering, not health, that grows perseverance and character and hope. See, in Spurgeon's suffering, in the days and weeks on end when he'd just have to lay in his bed in ill health, Spurgeon learned what it was like to really just trust in God. And that grew his character. It grew his spiritual maturity. He learned that if God is still good, even though I've been lying in this bed, unable to get up for 10 days, if I can still hope in my God that he's good in this situation, then I can hope in God in any situation. Or I think of Corey Tenboom. Uh, many of you have heard me talk about Corrie Ten Boom before. She's famous for her book, The Hiding Place. If you've never read that book, you just need to read that book. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom hid Jews uh, during World War II. She was sent to a concentration camp. Uh, she eventually said this. She said, I never 
really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all I had. See, on the mountaintop, when things are really good in your life, I suppose you could praise God for the view, but for most of us on the mountaintop, it's just too easy to give ourselves the credit for getting there. But when you get into the valley, there's no credit around to even give yourself. So sometimes, God has to walk us into the valley before we'll humble ourselves enough to actually get on the surgeon's table and let God start to shape our character. Uh, Years ago, there was a pastor by by the name of James H. Brooks. And he told the story of one time he visited his friend's house and he heard, the, uh, heard a bird uh, singing. Uh, not chirping, like actually singing, well as, lo- as well as a bird can sing anyway. And his friend, seeing the look of shock on his face, his bird was singing the notes to an actual song. He explained to his friend that I, he taught the bird how to sing uh, by just repeating the notes to this particular song over and over again. And when the pastor asked how that was remotely even possible, his friend said, well, actually, I had to teach him how to do it in the dark at night. Otherwise, he was just too distracted to listen. But in the dark, he listened. I wish it wasn't so, but that's often how God teaches us. He teaches us, he shapes us, in the valley, in the dark. Because all the rest of the times we're just too distracted to listen. So on the good times, in the good times on the mountain, you can intellectually know that God loves you. But it's not often until you walk through the valley of the shadow of death that you feel that God loves you. And that really grows your character, grows your hope. So if you're in this spot or you get in this spot where sickness comes into your life or there's just major trouble in your life with your kids or your grandkids, anxiety is taking over, stress is bugging you out, please don't let your first reaction be to question God or to drown out all the pain or to run away from the suffering. Endure in your suffering. Take your problems to God. Say, Lord, what are you doing? Say, Lord, I I trust that your purposes are grand. I trust that they go way beyond me. I trust, Lord, that you are doing something in me. What are you doing? When life is hard, do you seek him? Do you ask him that? One of the things I think we can pull from this passage is if we always run from our suffering, and we always just try and drown it out, you're going to miss out on what God wants to grow in you through your suffering. And I think in the midst of all this, we, we remember Jesus. I mean, think about this. God the Father was not a lawnmower parent. He did not spare his son 
from the suffering on the cross. Because he knew that the suffering of his son on the cross would lead to the greatest good the world has ever known. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament is really helpful here. Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. Said, Life's going to be hard. You know, run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he, I just look at this word here. Maybe we think of, I don't know if we think about this with Jesus. He endured the cross. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we suffer as Christians, we are to remind ourselves that our suffering is nothing compared to what Jesus suffered for us on the cross. This verse says, Jesus endured the cross. He persevered through it. Uh, it makes me think of that passage in Matthew where they're arresting Jesus and uh, Peter gets out a sword to fight because he wants to stop it. And, and Jesus says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you not think that if I wanted to, that I couldn't just call down thousands of angels and put a stop to this? Of course he could. He could have stopped it any time that he wanted to. He could have stopped it all through that dreadful Thursday evening and into Friday. And yet he never did. He endured the suffering, even the suffering of the cross. He stood fast because he knew that saving you was worth it. It was his love for you that kept him on the cross enduring through that suffering. And so today Jesus looks at you and he says to you, my friends, endure. He's saying, because in my suffering, I have already proven to you how much I love you. Endure. He's saying, trust me. I love you. Trust me. I have a plan. In all things, I am growing you. I'm giving you perseverance. I'm growing your character. I'm going to develop hope in you. I am teaching you of my love. And even that you should know that even when the darkest day comes, you should know that day is coming. And we will be together forever. So endure. Stand firm. Let me pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would teach us to suffer well, not to run from difficulty. Lord, teach us to endure. God, may we be different from the people around us. And may we trust you, God, even when the hard times come. We just love you so much. It's in your name we pray. Amen.